Hey, Gavin here. Welcome back to season two of the Business Mastermind podcast and another in our Revive series. We've been talking about things that you need to do to revive the drive of yourself and your team and a critical component of that is sleep. Rarely do many people that are striving for success and growth in business or in any endeavor feel that they're getting enough sleep or enough of the right quality of sleep. You might sort of run on empty during the week and then try and um, sort of catch up and binge on sleep at the weekend, lying in, your body clock's all over the place, you throw into that travel or disruption um, and never... (laughs) You always find yourself kind of having to stoke the system on coffee or Red Bull or whatever it might be to get your brain working well and firing on all cylinders. Today's conversation really kind of like, um, sort of peels back the cloak on um, sleep, what, you need, what you're doing wrong, what you need to do to get good quality, consistent sleep, the dangers if you don't get it right. We talk about chronotyping, that's the difference between the lark and the owl. We talk about circadian rhythms. We talk about the dangers of actually um, staying up later at the weekend and lying in later at the weekend. We talk about the impact and the damage of shift patterns and what that can do with uh, ever-changing shift patterns on shortening lifespan. Um, We talk about catching up on sleep and what you need to do, sleep apps, breastfeeding mums, and the list goes on. It's another in-depth, hour-long conversation with uh, really, really uh, eminently uh, qualified uh, Dr. David Lee. Really great to listen to. Uh, He used some fabulous analogies and uh, listen out for his two characters, Marjorie and Terry, because they feature a lot in this and they help bring all this alive. Uh, you can enjoy this one. Um, I've uh, evidently listened again and again, and um, <laughs> keep thinking I need to send this 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 recording to so and so because they're going to get so much from it. So it's packed. You probably never had as much understanding and appreciation about sleep as you will have done by the time you've listened to this two or three times. Oh, and you'll even find out the function of yawning. Enjoy. If you're loving these podcasts, then please do head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master. It's super easy. I promise you, your support really is appreciated. And it helps in the creation of these in-depth masterclasses and interviews to equip you, your team and your business for growth. If you have supported us already, many thanks. And if not, you can do this by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash businessmaster. You'll also be able to get access to exclusive content from the guests and myself, further insights and information on the featured episodes, and how you can get more access for you and your business. Hi, and welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast and to this Revive season. Today, I am going to be covering a really, really important topic, one that I'm sure as listeners to this podcast, you uh, have uh, experienced the highs of it going well in your life, the lows of it not going so well with your life, and that is sleep and um, a lot more uh, current topic now than probably ever has been. Long have gone the days of the alpha uh, type A personality suggesting that uh, we can survive on four hours sleep on a regular basis. Actually, the importance of sleep is being widely acknowledged, even by those that uh, apparently superhuman, such as Elon Musk. So today, I'd love to uh, introduce you to Dr. David Lee. He's a clinical director at Sleep Unlimited. Um, he is a, an expert on sleep. He is a chartered psychiatrist. He's a chartered scientist. He is a uh, so a biologist, term psychologist, 
and um, he's the author of Teaching the World to Sleep. So, Dave, welcome to the podcast, the Business Mastermind podcast. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks for inviting me to come and talk to you today. So, um, typically, uh, in the world of you know your profession of, of sleep, what are some of the let's let's keep the focus in the world of kind of business. What are some of the presenting challenges that you and and, and your colleagues will often uh, be found, whether it be through senior execs or people that work shift patterns? What what, what are some of the the, the the challenges that you are asked to help out with? We do a lot of talks on sleep direct to employees who are struggling. Uh, we've seen a doubling of sleep problems in the last 14, 15 months. So issues that were abound before where we would have seen one in four adults struggling with their sleep prior to March 2020. We're now seeing that dub- double to one in two. So the issues that were there before have just doubled. They've just yeah. been magnified because of the, the stress that's going around at the moment, yeah. um, anxiety around the, the, the virus and its variants, um, yeah. routine changes. Sleep loves a good routine. So we've seen you may well have been in a routine for decades, getting up at the same time in the morning, driving to work, and all of that changed overnight on the 23rd of March, 2020. So there's a big disruption to people's structure of their day and sleep doesn't like that um people are struggling more to find a strike a work-life balance because they're obviously they're working at home way more than they were before and sometimes they're even working in their bedrooms Mm. so that's not good for sleep because we we lose that psychological link between the bed the bedroom and sleep it's now bed bedroom sleep and work for some people and 25 percent of people have admitted to drinking more alcohol in lockdowns right we'd expect that number to be higher and alcohol disrupts your sleep as well. So for those four reasons, that's really why we've seen a doubling of sleep problems in the, in the last 14, 15 months. Um, in terms of the, 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 the normal kind of things we see, well, it's, it's across the board that essentially you can, you can divide in, insomnia into different types of insomnia, but at a really kind of rough and dirty level, you've, you've got problem getting to sleep, problem staying asleep or waking up too early in the morning. Generally speaking, 40, 45% of people with a sleep problem have trouble getting off to sleep. They tend to be younger people or your executive types who are struggling to switch this off. Their brains are just going. And they can't relax because of that. Yeah, exactly. So so that's common in in your high flyers and in in younger people who are worrying more about stuff, finances, kids, mortgage, work, that kind of stuff. 40, 45% of people with a sleep problem have difficulty maintaining their sleep they tend to be older people that may be waking up more during the night to use the bathroom. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we've got age-related... They can't, they can't get back off to sleep. Yeah, yeah, or they struggle to get back off to sleep. Their sleep's broken. They don't then get enough of it, and then they suffer consequences in the daytime. Yeah. And, of course, when you're looking at your more executive um, marketplace, that those guys and girls um, tend to be a little bit older sometimes. So we'll, we'll, we'll speak to... Um, you know, executives who who may be traveling a lot for work, maybe not so much in the last year, but previously we'd, we'd have a lot of these conversations. Oh, I, I used to really get on fine with this jet lag, Dave, when I was 25, 30, but now I'm 50, it's hurting me more. And that's age-related changes in sleep that are brain-related that we can't really change. But one of the things that we do see a lot in, in older people, we have age-related weakening of the sphincter muscles around the bladder, so older people tend to get up more during the night to use the bathroom. Now, that's really common and it's easy to fix. You just stop drinking so much in the evening. And, and that, that's just that's 
quick, easy fix that costs nothing. One of the things you mentioned before that people have got a lot going on in their head, so the, the anxiety is higher. So, and then you also made, made reference to the point about um, having a drink at night to kind of settle their minds. And um, so it may well relax them and there's an illusion that they think that, that helps them to get to sleep, but obviously that doesn't have a great effect on that sleep pattern or the depth or the re, uh, recuperative nature of the sleep. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So we, in health, will have, a, a sleep architecture it's sometimes called where we'll, we'll, we'll fall asleep and very rapidly descend into a, a long period of deep non-REM sleep which is the restorative sleep that, that we need to feel good and we'll we'll tend to do more of that during the first part of the night and then we cycle back up into into REM sleep you might well have heard of your listeners might well have heard of yeah, rapid, yeah. rapid eye movement sleep which yeah. we think is quite important for emotional reprocessing and we cycle between REM and non-REM sleep throughout the night maybe four or five times per night. Now, what alcohol will do is it will knock off the deep non-REM sleep and it will knock off the REM sleep. So you spend more time in light non-REM sleep, which isn't that useful for us. And that leads to the mood consequences the next day. Um, so if you had have had a lot of alcohol, you're not getting the deep or the REM sleep as much as you would if you haven't had that much alcohol. And that, as I say, leads to mood consequences, which leads to more drinking. Often. So what you've actually got to do is, or anybody listening, find other ways of relaxing the mind rather than relying on the alcohol to help them relax and get to sleep. Sure, yeah. And there are lots of things out there that can be helpful and more constructive rather than alcohol, which you, you, you can end up in quite an insidious cycle going on with low mood, more drinking, poor sleep, leading to more low mood, leading to more drinking. So it can spiral and escalate and people can then end up becoming more dependent on alcohol. And then we're in, we're in a world of pain. We need that. That's difficult to, to, to come back from. And, and we certainly see this in people who with chronic alcohol dependency, their sleep patterns are very corrupted because of the alcohol consumption, but it can take 18 months to two years after becoming abstinent for that good quality, healthy sleep to return. Really? Really? Yeah, in, in, in chronic because alcohol. of the habitual patterns that they've got into. Yeah, and the, and actual damage to the brain that needs to recover as a result of being intoxicated so much for so long, and it, it's in that period of time when people are abstinent before their sleep comes back, which is a protracted period of time, eighteen months to two years, long time. They're very very vulnerable for relapse in that period, and that's why we see alcohol dependency as being a very difficult thing to treat. Relapse is very common, so it, you know if people are working with people who, who are dependent on alcohol you you have to provide a lot of support for quite a long time after they become abstinent to keep them um keep them healthy and prevent relapse so um you talked about the well, i think let's let's get some sort of high level statements uh agree uh, sort of set then how much sleep and i know it's dependent on person age fitness levels etc but is a is there a range that would you, you you would see as an optimum in terms of sleep requirement sleep yeah. duration yeah. um there, there's there's the old eight hour myth that people will have heard of that you've got to get eight hours of sleep but that's that's uh, that is a myth um there's a there's a range 90 95 percent of the human adult population will sleep between six and nine you do find people who get by on less than six the sort of quote, extreme short sleepers, and you find people who need more than nine longer sleepers. But that's for adults. Kids need loads more. So a newborn baby is going to probably sleep between 15 and 17 hours in a 24-hour period. 
but it's polyphasic. They're awake for a bit and sleep for a bit and awake and asleep and awake and asleep. Lots of napping during the day. And they need to do that because they're learning so much. That's intense. They need to sample life and then shut down and process that and repeat, repeat, which is obviously very challenging for parents having to get up in the night to, to deal with that. The, the napping gradually knocks off by the age of about three babies tend to stop napping and they become more biphasic, sleep in one block, awake in one block, like hopefully us as well in, in, in health. So the sleep requirement for newborns is very high and that, that tapers off through childhood till we get to about our mid-teenage years. From that point, your sleep requirement is fairly set then for the rest of your life. But you can be a short or a long sleeper at any age. And uh, circadian rhythms then, so you talk about um, night owls or the larks and some people better in the morning, some people better in, you know, to work the court or be up and about late in the evening. So but it, it, what what's sort of behind that and how would an individual, if they're not aware of it, you know, why, why is it important that we're paying attention to, to our natural kind of circadian rhythms? So, so we've got two things here. We've got circadian rhythms and we've got chronotype. To pick up on the chronotype first, you've got your larks, your owls and your ambivalence. So the morning, if, if you get a thousand people in the room, 330 of them will be larky, 330 will be owly and the rest will be ambivalent. So you, people will divide into these three categories. Intuitively, people will know what they are. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an owl. Uh, I, I like getting up late and being up late. You? Uh, I'm more the other way around. I'm more the morning person. You're a lark, right? So you intuitively yeah. know that. So yeah, yeah. What we would want to do then if we were working with, with you, Gavin, is we'd say, well, we're going to work your routine around a lark's routine. You're happy to get up at half five, six o'clock in the morning, yeah. and but you've got to be down by 10 o'clock at night. Otherwise, you're going to... Oh, be- and I actually notice, you know, if, I, if I'm asleep by 10, that 10 to midnight, I, I find two of the most re- rejuvenative hours of sleep that I could have. If occasionally, like, for example, I had a big project last week and I was, I was working beyond midnight and going to bed still getting up about 6.30 um, to try and get the six and a half hour sleep in. But I was wiped. It was just the, the fact that I was out of kind of normal phase. Sure. So phase is really important and it's really important for your chronotype. So when we work with shift workers and, and organisations who employ shift workers, we, we don't chronotype these employees before they join the workforce. They just shunted into this shift working routine. The, the, the owls hate the early shift. The larks hate the late shift. On, on any given shift, a third of your workforce doesn't want to be there. You know, they're out of their comfort zone. They're not focused. They're not paying attention. They're not concentrating. They're not happy. They're not safe. They have accidents. They go off sick. And it costs organizations a fortune. You know, oh, right. So you, you help them inform a sleep road, sorry, not a sleep, a shift road, I meant to say, based on those natural preferences. Absolutely. Why not get all your lots in the early shift? You know, it's an absolute <laughs> no-brainer, really, isn't it? You're going to save a fortune yeah. if you do that. But we don't do that. We, we just say, right, Terry, in you come, off you go. Oh, I'm really tired. I don't really wake up until 10 o'clock in the morning. Tough, you're on the early shift. Get up at four, in you go at six. Um, and he doesn't want to be there. Then he makes a mistake and hurts himself or somebody else or goes off sick, you know, all the things we just talked about. So your chronotype, intuitively, everybody knows what their chronotype is intuitively everybody knows how much sleep they need and then if you fit those two things together you can then get a routine that's going to work for you so gavin you know you've really got to focus on getting to bed by 10 every night to get that restorative sleep like like i mentioned earlier that deep non-rem sleeps the sleep we 
tend to get most in the first part of the night. And that's the sleep that makes us feel refreshed. So just exactly what you said there, 10 till midnight, that's the sleep that you really like. It's the, the sleep that you get first in the night is, is the most refreshing. You work late past midnight, you're out of your normal routine, but your head's into work. So you're going to sleep with your head full of work and that interferes with you getting down into that deep sleep. So then you don't wake up feeling refreshed the next day. So really important to have a good routine, one that works for you if you're larky or owly, and then stick to it. And you and when you do that, you feel good. You mentioned with the word routine there. Sorry, you mentioned the word routine. Yeah. Is there is there a routine that would um, help you drop off into a deeper sleep? In other words, for example, steering quick, clear of the blue light from a from a mobile, you know, from a screen. Okay, so in terms of good sleep practices, we've got a, the two-hour rule for loads of stuff like that. So if you're wanting to go to bed at 10 and get up at 6, say, to, to feel good in yourself, that's a routine that, that sounds like would work for you. We would be suggesting, well, from 8 o'clock at night, so two hours before bed, that's when you're going to start your wind down routine. So you're getting away from blue screens because we know blue light interferes with initiating and maintaining sleep. Um, you, you, you're not exercising in that time or eating in that time or drinking too much liquid in that time or consuming alcohol or caffeine especially or nicotine, anything which is a stimulant which is going to wake you up either physiologically wake you up. So running around the block, your heart, rate your blood pressure goes up or psychologically wakes you up like worrying about work so eight o'clock write down a to-do list for the next day put it down and say right i've parked that there i'm not going to think about work anymore now i'm going to relax mindfulness meditation stuff's good around that time as well just to kind of let that busy day go so two hours later when you go to bed you're not taking it into the bedroom hot baths is another one you might have heard oh hot baths help you sleep they do. They're really good. Exercise, excellent for sleep. Just earlier in the day, if you have a hot bath just before you go to bed, your, your blood pressure's up, your, your body temperature is up. And you'll, you'll notice when you get tired in the evening time, we, we yawn, obviously, but you also feel a bit chilly. So that dip in circadian rhythmicity, the yawn, we might come back and talk about circadian rhythm. Uh, I know you alluded to it earlier. We haven't got, got around to that yet. But um, when you have a dip in circadian rhythmicity, we also have a dip in body temperature. And those two things together, coupled with high sleep drive, because you're tired, you've been awake all day, that's a perfect storm for getting off to sleep. So if you change your routine, you miss your circadian dip. It's harder to get off to sleep. We've all done that. You stay up 20 minutes past your bedtime at, at weekend and say, well, why can't I sleep? You, you've just missed your circadian dip. You're going to have to wait until you go all the way around over, over the peak and down to your next dip. And that's a 90-minute cycle in humans. So that, that's plenty of time to wait. And in that time, or try and sleep, and you get all wound up, and then it's very difficult to get to sleep. So we have to wind down, physiologically cool down, mentally cool down, so the two-hour rule is what we apply to anything that's going to be stimulating us too close to bedtime. So for you, it'd be eight o'clock, start winding down, avoid caffeine, certainly, lots of liquid, alcohol, nicotine, put your worries on a pad of paper to park them there so you don't take them into the bedroom. Then you can relax and you're more likely to catch your circadian dip and get off to sleep at the time that is right for you. 
Gavin here. Wow, we're covering a lot in a short period of time. So what I thought I'd do is give you a few kind of recaps at several points through the course of this interview with Dr. David Lee. So the first of those is uh, the learning points about our chronotype. You know, we've heard the, fry, the phrase night owls and morning or larks. Well, larks hate the late shift and equally owls hate the early shift. So wouldn't it be great we talk more about it later in this interview that we could actually align people's work shift patterns so that the locks are doing the earlies and the owls are doing the lates and yet so often in society uh, we were the work requirements and expectations are putting people um, in times of work expecting them to perform at times when they're not at their best and you'll find actually um, if you go across to buymeacoffee.com for slash business master i go into depth and uh, on this piece around shifts and the impact and and the actual lack of productivity when people are working out of phase um, good routines are essential so whether you are a lark and morning person or a night owl you've got to be able to keep into a routine and that routine seven days a week i know that sounds dull and boring uh, to some but actually if you want to optimize productivity and you want to optimize health and as you'll hear later in this interview um uh, reduce your chances of comorbidities morbidities and reduce your chance of early um you know death then actually good sleep is really really important and so to maintain a routine throughout your week is really seven days a week is really really important Good sleep practice, two-hour rule. Um, so that's the idea of before two hours, you've got to psychologically and mentally cool down. Um, no screens, you know, the blue light that emits off your tablet or your uh, your mobile phone screen or the TV screen. Um, not too much liquid, no alcohol, um, no food, no exercise, just to help your body naturally wind down. Hot baths, people say you should do those before bed. Actually, no, it should be earlier on in the day, earlier on in the evening, and not within that two-hour window before bed. And uh, get uh, to bed ready to fall asleep um, in time for when your circadian dip is. So we, you heard me talking with Dr. David Lee about, you know, for me, 10 o'clock's a good time to go to bed. You know, I've been playing around with this recently, and if I'm in bed for quarter to half nine, quarter to ten, I'm ready for that circadian dip about 10 p.m. If I go to bed at 10 30, 11, sometimes I can find it a lot harder to get to sleep because I've missed that circadian dip. So pay attention, you know, if you know when your natural preference of a time to go to bed would be, pay attention to when you naturally will get sleepy and set yourself up to succeed in the sense that to succeed and going off to sleep quickly by being in bed ready to go to sleep at a time when you will naturally feel most, um, why sleep will come on most naturally and most quickly. Um, if somebody uh, is struggling though uh, to get off to sleep and they get themselves <laughs> What find themselves watching the clock or the bedside, you know, the, the, the watch or the phone or whatever in terms of looking at the time and getting more and more frustrated. Hey, I've been trying to get to sleep for the last 45 minutes or whatever the number is. What would you suggest as uh, some things that they could do to help induce that sleep? So if you have a sleep problem at the present time in the developed world, you would say just pick the you know the UK. You know you go usually present to your GP. GP types into his or her computer insomnia disorder. Computer spits back CBTI, CBT cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia. That's your treatment pathway of choice for managing a sleep problem. Number two on the list is tablets. 
hypnotic medication and they're not licensed for use beyond three months in this country yet you see people taking them for a lot longer than that most of the time they're taking them for longer than that and there are a lot of problems with the sleeping tablets so because of a large body of research that's gone on over the last 50 years the NHS, NICE in the UK, recommend CBTI. NIH, National Institutes for Health in the States, recommend CBTI because there's a lot of evidence, highly effective, works for 70% of people, which is a, a really good hit rate. Very, very good. Um, so sticking with those, princ those principles of CBTI, that will work for most people. Essentially, what CBTI is doing is trying to optimize the conditions for sleep and at the same time trying to get rid of any obstacles that might be getting in the way. So we've just mentioned sleep requirement, chronotype, circadian dips, good routine. These are all the things which will optimize someone's sleep. Good sleepers tend to have good routines, bad sleepers not. So if you tighten that up, other behavioral things which you can do to help like exposure to natural daylight, that's very positive for sleep as well. Exercise, like we talked about earlier in the day, hot bath earlier in the day, all good stuff for sleep. So we, we're putting all of that optimal stuff in and then we get rid of all the obstacles, the nicotine, the alcohol, the fluid, the stress, whatever it might be. So if someone is struggling with their sleep, the approach we take is evidence-based behavioral sleep medicine, CBTI. That's what is recommended by NICE, NIH. Um, and we, we have to assess that person to find out what it is that they are doing that is good and keep doing it and what it is that they're doing that is counterproductive and get rid of that. And if you do that, you've got a 70% chance of it working. So it will be horses for courses. Marjorie has got a 30-year abuse history. She's living with long COVID. She's in chronic pain and she drinks way too much alcohol. Terry just drinks too much coffee. Now, you're going to deal with Terry and Marjorie in very different ways. So it, it, it's about doing a decent assessment at the front of it to work out where the issues are. And then we would design based on cherry picking from a whole range of different tools within the CBTI toolkit, what that person's then going to need. Um, you mentioned about the importance of keeping in that um, the structure and the pattern. Typically, most people will alter that at the weekend they'll either have a lie-in to try and catch up on a bit of a sleep deficit and may well even of course then stay up later at the weekend and then come monday morning it's an absolute shock to the system again yeah and then you say, oh well if you get up at half past six or six or whatever time you do if you're if you're a, a, a um a lark uh during the week then surely you should do that saturday and sunday but you know most i think including myself would like oh I've quite quite nice not to, have to put the alarm on at the weekend so yeah. Uh, what's the impact, you know, what, what's your thoughts around that? And what's the impact of like that disruption of and almost like changing by an hour or so, or even more at the weekend, your, your time you're up and awake? Sort of booming and busting and um, pinching sleep for life in the week and then trying to pay it back at the weekend. Re yeah. Really common. See it all the time in students, young professionals, older professionals. And um, a lot of people will do that. Um, so I suppose, why, why can't I be awake for three weeks and sleep for a week? Would that not be really handy at the end of a tax year or if I'm a soldier or a surgeon or I've got a massive project on? Just the, but I, just the concept of that's too painful to think about. I have to sleep and I've got to do it every day. 
If I don't, I'm in, I'm in a world of pain. We think one night of sleep deprivation is the equivalent to about eight pints of beer. Now, you definitely don't want to be driving your forklift truck after eight pints of beer, Marjorie, do you? So, you know, we've got to be a bit careful with that. It's, it's quite dangerous. So we don't want people driving to work if they've not slept at all because they're, they're very risky. So there's an analogy here, I suppose, to just explain this in a bit more detail. If my, if my brain is a busy office, I have pieces of paper are the thoughts that get generated in, in this busy office all the time. I've a thought about uh, an invoice I've got to send out. I have a thought about a Coke can I've seen blowing down the high street. At the end of the day, my busy office is full of paper and it's a mess. Now, when I go into that deep non-REM sleep that we were talking about earlier on, most of my brain goes very quiet with the exception of my hippocampus, which is right in the middle of my brain, which is critical for memory consolidation. And that wakes up and is really, really very active. That hippocampal activity, we can analogize that to my secretary coming out and he, she, or they starts going through all this bit of paper. A big invoice, Dave, you've got to remember that top of the intray for tomorrow morning. Coke can blowing down the high street. You don't need to remember that, Dave. Trash it. Now, if I've had enough of that deep non-REM sleep, that's going to tidy up my office and then I'm going to wake up and be a happy functional Dave the next day. If I don't get enough of that deep non-REM sleep, it's a mess up there. And that, at a fundamental level, we can, because you can't find anybody with any sort of enduring mental health problem who doesn't also have a sleep problem, we can analogize a mental health problem, whatever it is, anxiety, depression, paranoia, whatever, it's essentially an untidy office. If you can get their sleep better, they tidy the office better, their mood symptoms will alleviate across the board. So I have to get the right amount of sleep for me, short or long. I like to get it based on my chronotype, like we were talking about. If I don't get enough of it, I've got an untidy office, and that causes me symptoms of tiredness, psychological distress, low mood, irritability. I'm not functional. So if I don't get enough sleep Monday to Friday, I'm insomniac. I'm going to suffer those things. Then at the weekend, I oversleep. This is called hypersomnia, oversleep. And how do you feel when you oversleep? Be actually groggy and... and, and yeah, right. Yeah. Groggy, tired, nauseated, hungry, yeah. irritable. Bizarre. You think you should feel great. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely paradoxical. You really, you think you should feel better because I'm tired, I need more sleep. But you paradoxically, you don't. And I think sleep's unique in the sense that too little of it, insomnia, gives you the same symptoms as too much of it, hypersomnia. So Terry's booming and busting, pinching sleep for life during the week. He's insomniac. He's tired and he's fed up. And then at the weekend, he's hypersomniac. And he's tired and he's fed up. So he's tired and fed up all the time. And what he's got to do <laughs> is get the right amount for him scheduled based on his chronotype and, and, and the right amount for his age every night to tidy up that office. Uh, and, and if he's not doing that, he's going to suffer. So the booming and busting idea is really common. It, it, you see it in practice all the time and it doesn't work. People are just tired and fed up all the time. So we've got to try and hit that sweet spot every night if we can. Right. Okay. That, 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 that makes sense. Uh, it's, 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 it's a, yeah, a long answer to, to the question, but a good, a very good and very, I, I love this analogy of like uh, tidying the office. 
<laughs> from my point of view, okay, so I actually will feel better if I stick to going to bed at 10 o'clock on a you know, Friday night and a Saturday night and still getting up at 6 o'clock. Based on what you've told me, that you're a bit of an early bird, that you like to have seven and a half of eight hours and that your normal bedtime's 10 o'clock and you feel good when you do do that, I would say absolutely keep doing that. Yeah, and, yeah. and don't mess with it for a couple of weeks and see how you feel. Yeah, yeah. Guarantee you're going to feel, feel, feel good. And you'll be more productive. You'll make less mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the work that we do when we're tired is not good work. It's not safe. It's not, it's not high quality. And students studying for their exams, we know that if they're sleeping well before they learn something, whilst they're learning something, and after they've learned something, their recall is way better than if they're sleep deprived at any stage before, during, or after the learning process. So you can't just cram it all in in the last two weeks of the year and do pull a load of all-nighters because the information when you're tired is just not going in and it's not then going to come out either we don't encode well we don't recall well when we're tired so especially when we when we work with schools and kids and teachers we're, and parents we're, we're saying you know you've got to get that consistent amount of sleep that's right for the individual all the time you, you, you can't do pinch it for a few weeks and try and pay it back it just doesn't work I'm smiling because I'm thinking about um, the early stages of my uh, professional uh, uh, training as an account, chartered accountant in the exams. And we went away for six week blocks, um, actually, ironically, not too far away from where I currently live, um, in, a, in residential accountancy training college. And um, you stayed on site. Um, it's a bit of a sad existence because for five and a half, six days a week, you ate, drank, slept together not so wrong. It's like, but you're always thinking about accountancy yeah. and so i would try oh i'm going to learn more i'm going to study more i've got to cram more and as a result of that i was trying to optimize um or reduce the amount of sleep so i could have more time studying and actual fact what you've just described no wonder it was hard work for me because i was like to be counterproductive yeah and occasionally um you know oh, if i could just push myself to just do a, um you know, another chapter in this book or another practice exam. And then there was a little bit of a bar on site. So I'd go down at quarter to 11 for a pint, you know, work up till half past 10 and go down to quarter to 11 for a pint. And then wonder why I was constantly exhausted. <laughs> Just answered all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, what about power naps? Because some people um, respond very well from them. Um, and particularly those that are sleep deprived. Um, my hobby of interest and in, in sport that I follow is sailing, and I um, also very keen and watch round the world single-handed yachts people and the sleep deprivation that they have to deal with because they're just basically ca catching a few twenty-minute, if that, power naps over the course of a some days eighty, ninety days. So mm -hmm. um, let's talk about power naps, but also what what are the health and mental impacts of long-term insufficient sleep? So famously, Ellen MacArthur, she yeah. trained herself to sort of have a have a sort of twenty minute sleep and then be up for for for, for an hour and and work the work the ship and then sleep again. And she trained herself to do that. So um, you know, if, if say you need seven and a half hours of sleep in a twenty four hour period to tidy up the office and be yeah. a happy functional Gavin or Dave, then you can you can break that up like Ellen MacArthur did. But people don't tend to like that. You'd still be functional if you got the right amount of sleep for you in 20-minute blocks spread out around the whole 24-hour period. Yeah, okay. But enough, you'd be functional. 
but you don't like it. We don't like our sleep to be disturbed. That's one of the things which insomniacs complain about a lot. And if you can reduce the amount of times they're awake during the night, then they're, they're happier about that. So, so napping, I mean, as a, a general principle, if you're over the age of three, like we talked about earlier, that young children need to nap in the day and that's part of their brain development, we wouldn't change that. We know that older people at the other end of the age spectrum who are living with neurodegeneration, so dementias like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, we know that if they're not sleeping well, that will accelerate the rate of cognitive decline and napping for less than an hour a day can reduce that rate of cognitive decline. We also see people who've had brain injury, so stroke or traumatic brain injury from, a, say, an accident or road accident or a fall. When the brain is recovering from that injury, they need to nap, and we wouldn't want to interfere with that. That said, if you're all over the age of three, you're not living with dementia and just had a brain injury, if you're in health, if you're getting enough good quality sleep at night, you shouldn't need to nap during the day. If you feel like you do need to nap during the day, you're not getting enough good quality sleep at night. And that's where we want to look at trying to help you out. We have a sleep homeostat, we call it, our sleep pressure. We turn our sleep pressure, which we call tiredness, we, we turn our tiredness up by being awake and we turn it down by going to sleep. Now, if you nap during the day, you, you release a bit of sleep pressure. So then when you get to bedtime, you might not then be tired enough to drop off to sleep. Sleep loves tired, right? We yeah, want yeah. you to be very tired at the end of the day because that's going to help you catch a circadian dip and drop off to sleep quickly. And that's what we like. We don't want to be laying there for an hour and a half trying to sleep. You want to be really tired, catch a circadian dip, drop off to sleep. This is what good sleepers do. Good, most good sleepers are not napping in the daytime. Um, so if you are we'd look at nighttime sleep. If you get enough nighttime sleep, you're not going to feel the need to nap during the day. We don't want to reduce your sleep pressure by napping in the day. We want that sleep pressure to remain and be high at night to in help with the initiation of sleep. But we see this has come round and around. There are, there are people who advocate napping out there. There are people who are selling nap pods into organizations. Of might yeah, have seen of some of these Google sleep others. pods. Yeah, yeah. 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 They cost £10,000 Oh, we're looking after our employees. We're going to put a sleep pod in. And, oh, it looks all space age and shiny. Oh, look, 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 we've got this, got this sleep pod. Oh, yeah. Look, Terry, Terry's going in. He's giving it a go. Oh, what was that like, Terry? Did you like it? Oh, yeah, it was a bit funky. Yeah, you should try it. Two weeks later, Terry doesn't want to appear to be lazy to his manager yeah. or his colleagues. Yeah. Terry doesn't want to appear weak and needing a nap. So right. after the novelty's worn off, what yeah. you end up with is a very, very expensive office ornament that nobody <laughs> ever uses anymore because they don't want to appear weak or work shy. Yeah. So, and actually, this is a reactive approach. Reactive approaches are never as good as proactive ones. You know, educate your workforce in the principles of CBT for insomnia so they can sort their own sleep out. They sleep well. They don't need to nap. And you don't waste 10 grand on a... Thing which nobody will ever really end up using anyway. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Gavin here with another summary. What night of sleep deprivation is equivalent in terms of your mental functioning uh, to of having taken eight pints of beer? Wow. And I'm sure we've all had experiences where for broke we've had very broken sleep, or we've even gone without sleep and 
how that impairs our thinking, our speed of response and reaction. So good sleep is really, really important. Too little sleep, insomnia, gives you the same symptoms as too much sleep, hypersomnia. So those people that kind of um, do without go, you know, into an overdraft of sleep during the week, but then try to bank more to make up for it at the weekend, can often, if they've packed in 10 hours or more of sleep over a night of the weekend, can actually feel as groggy as if they'd had too little sleep. So yeah, that hypersomnia can also leave you feeling as bad. Now I'll talk more about this um, in another session because I've gone off and looked for other sources to supplement this. And I've done um, a special uh, session. Um, if you subscribe on uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master, you'll hear me going in deep on some of these sub- subjects around chronotyping, around um, uh, your circadian rhythms, the impact of sleep, the impact of, the, of, of napping, why you should and shouldn't do napping. But what we need is we need to, the right amount of sleep. We need to have it, as I said in the previous little recap, to schedule for our chronotype, whether we're a night owl or a morning lark, and keep that consistent over the course of the seven days of the week. We will then be a lot more productive. We need to prioritise good quality sleep at night to build that sleep pressure up over the course of the day with you know exercise early on, eating relatively early early on in the day, eating relatively early in the evening, and that two-hour rule that I've just already mentioned, uh, so that we build that sleep pressure up at a time when our body's natural chronotype in our circadian dip would mean that we were more likely to go to sleep. Do that as opposed to napping during the day. Um, sleep loves tired, as David said, so catch the circadian dip at the right time and you'll drop off to sleep quickly. Uh, <laughs> I love this idea about sleep hobs are a bad idea because actually it reduces sleep pressure and it will mean that actually you won't get to sleep at the time when you naturally will be in phase. Um, you won't get off to sleep at that time because you'll have released some of that sleep pressure by a nap during the course of the day. Um, so if people do find... Um, because, you know, like in a situation like I had last week where I, I had several deadlines that came at the same time that had to be delivered on. And so I wasn't getting my seven and a half hours sleep a night. What are the what are the best ways of um, recovering from that deficit? In order to fully recover from that. It will require a shift in mindset to prevent that situation from occurring again in the future. Because you're going to the point of cause rather than dealing with the effect. Yeah, exactly. We're going back to that proactive thing. So it's Gavin going back to the customer and saying, look, I need longer to do this. Because if you keep pushing yourself like that, you're not going to do good work and you're going to suffer and you're going to want to pay it back. It's that boom and bust thing that we've just been talking about. You know, you're, you're, you're busting yourself and then you've got to try and oversleep to pay that back. And, and that oversleep leads to hypersomnia. So it just doesn't work. You, you know, you, in order to be really functional, you need to get the right amount for you every night, regardless of what else is going on. If you've got loads and loads of work pressure and it's causing you loads of stress, that's going to impact on, on your sleep and your cycle. And, and the, the impact of poor sleep in the short term is just remember to, question you asked me earlier about the long-term consequences of of, of sleep disturbance but in the short term the consequences are more psychological so you're grumpy irritable tired not focused not paying attention maybe not safe over a long period of time those psychological 
deficits will, will knock into more physiological deficits. So if you take shift workers as a good example, there's a very big study, number of studies done in, in uh, the 1990s looking at shift working nurses compared to non-shift working nurses, those who did nine to five and those who were rotating every two weeks, antisocially, early to late nights, and doing that for 25 years, you put those factors together in their worst combination, rapid rotation, antisocial shifts, 25 years, that will take 10 years off your lifespan and you end really? up developing comorbidities across the whole system. Wow. The whole system. So diabetes, hypertension, um, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary heart disease, a range of different cancers, particularly breast and colorectal cancers. So you're living shorter, but the, the last few years of your life are, are fraught with lots of comorbidity. You cost the NHS lots of money to is, look at Is there a simple layman's explanation of why? Yeah, so um, it, we, we talked earlier on about the circadian rhythm, which has a 90-minute yep. cycle, which your yep. REM and non-REM follow yep. that. And if you hit a dip, you're tired, you yawn. You will have that dip after lunch. We hit a dip. And then we go into a peak. 45 minutes later, we'll be at a peak. So really useful that. If you know you're dipping, take a break. There's no point in banging your head against the keyboard when you're having a yawn. Just take a break. Come back. Tackle the hard stuff when you're at a peak. So this is a 90-minute cycle. Loads of stuff follows this. REM, non-REM cycling, creativity, hunger, thirst, urine production, it all follows this 90-minute cycle. We have a, a different rhythm for body temperature. It's on a slower period. Now, our body temperature and circadian rhythms entrain together. When you get a dip in body temperature and you get chilly at bedtime, coupled with a dip in circadian rhythmicity, that's a perfect storm for sleep. Uh, you ever wake up without an alarm clock? Yeah, yeah, yeah wake up two minutes to seven. Oh, I've done it again. I've woken up two minutes before the alarm's gone. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've relieved your sleep pressure. Your circadian rhythm is coming up to a peak yeah. and that's coupled with a rise in your body temperature. So you know you feel chilly at bedtime. Sometimes in the morning, you can wake up and feel hot and sweaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's your body temperature coming up and that's a perfect storm for waking up. We evolved on a planet for 10,000 years without alarm clocks. That's just following that natural process. So what shift work does what jet lag does and what changing the clocks twice a year does is it disentrains those two temperature and circadian rhythms apart. And it takes a couple of weeks for them to come back together again. And that's the bit that hurts. That's what gives us the negative psychological in the short term, then physiological consequences of jet lag, of shift work, of changing the clocks. We all know what that feels like. It takes a week or two to recalibrate for those two rhythms to re-entrain together so what's happening with a chronic shift worker is they they, they start a shift on early come from late or whatever and and they, these two rhythms disentrain they take two weeks for them to come back together again and then the shift changes on them again and they disentrain and then it takes two weeks to come back together again and then they do it again ding, ding, that constant re-entrainment disentrainment over 25 years is what causes hypertension, diabetes, COPD, range of different cancers in the long term. Short term, we don't like it. It hurts. Everyone's fed up when the clocks change. And what about the impact of um, you know, 
natural daylight then and obviously now light early in the morning and late at night opposite in the winter some people getting woken up earlier than they would normally done do because of natural daylight early in the morning for example so there's, an, there's another analogy here and um, if that if that's all right yeah, yeah, go for um, it. so uh optic nerve from my left eye is processed at the back right side of my brain optic okay. nerve from my right eye is processed at the back left side of my brain so my optic nerves cross over right in the middle of my head and they cross right. over right next to the hypothalamus the hippocampus but also the pineal gland yep. you might have heard of pineal yeah. gland makes melatonin yeah right so uh, there's information in the light that I see and I process that at the back of my head and I'll send that information forward into my cortex to make decisions about what I've seen in the light. Light has another quality to it. It has a, an intensity. It can be dim or bright. Sound pressure measured in decibels, light pressure measured in lux or lumens. So I'm sat in my bay window here, which is fairly bright talking to you. I'm probably yep. sat in about... 300 lux at the moment. Yep. I just turn you around, Gavin, and let you look out of my window here across our valley. It's not bad out there today. It's a bit overcast, but it's broken yeah, yeah. cloud. I've got 25, 30,000 lux coming out of that sky right now. Bright, yep. sunny summer's day, sun at its apex. I'd have 50,000 lux in this country. In an equatorial country, 90, 100,000 lux, orders oh. of magnitude more light pressure outdoors than I get in here. So the analogy is this, right? You know how you can get a balloon and rub it against your jumper and charge it up with static? Yeah, yeah. Stick it on the wall. If you imagine your pineal glands, the balloon, the static electricity is the melatonin. The rubbing on the jumper is the light pressure rubbing past down these optic nerves, stimulating my, my pineal gland to make melatonin. Then when the signal stops, when it gets dark, that signals my brain to release the melatonin and that's sleep promoting. And that's why a day outside, a day on the beach is so tiring. You know, you probably said it to your own kids. Your parents probably said it to you. Oh, I sleep well tonight because all that fresh air. It's not, it's the, it's the daylight. Yeah, that's fascinating because, um, you know, when I'm out sailing, um, you've obviously got reflection off the sea as you have from the, the, the light that's coming down. And I, I, I could have, you know, we, we finish at the end of the day and then I'll have a bite to eat. And, and I could just literally drop off. That could be like six o'clock, 6.30. I could fall asleep. And I, I just thought it was yeah. the sea air. Yeah, no. Yeah. And that's, that's the myth. It's, everyone says it's the fresh air, but it's not. It's the natural daylight. And, that, and that's, that, that's great because I'm, I'm not supposed to be sat here looking at this. I'm supposed to be out there hunting for buffalo and berries. Yeah, That's what yeah, I've yeah. evolved to do. But I don't do that anymore. I s spend all my time sat indoors looking at this. If I'm a night shift worker, I never get to see that big yellow thing up there. I miss all that signal. Now, I'm with 300 lux in here. Even on the worst November day when it's really horrible and grey and grim, you'll still get 3,000 lux out of that sky, 10 times more than you get indoors. Yet we spend our lives increasingly under conditions of artificial light. So... Mm -hmm. This is a great opportunity for us in terms of improving our sleep and also our mood. I'll come back to that in a second. Is just do stuff out there. Now, don't go and exercise in the gym, Terry. Go and run around in the park. 
might meet someone and fall in love. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and but rather than, you know, like so many hamsters on the treadmill staring yeah. at a mirror in front of you, jogging yeah. away under artificial light. So you get a double whammy. You're getting the exercise, but you're getting it outdoors. Don't take your coffee break on your phone, sat in, you know, swapping your computer screen for your phone. Go outside, you know, get some melatonin. That's going to be sleep promoting at night. If you've got a lot of melatonin because you've had lots of natural daylight, melatonin is very similar in structure, chemical structure to serotonin. Serotonergic depletion is associated with depression. So if you've got a lot of melatonin, your body can break it down and make serotonin, and that's mood enhancing. So that's why a day outside is not only sleep promoting, it's also mood enhancing. We like being outdoors. It makes us happy. So you get a triple whammy, actually. You get the exercise, you get the sleep promotion with the melatonin and the feel-good serotonergic boost as well. So go and hunt buffalo, Terry. Stop <laughs> staring at spreadsheets. Or if you do have to stare at spreadsheets, take regular breaks. Take them when you're dipping. How do you know you're dipping? You yawn, right? I'm yawning, I'm in a dip. I'm not going to be very functional right now. I'll go outside, get some melatonin for 15 minutes, see us through that dip and then come back later in a better mood. What's the function of a yawn? Yawning's interesting. So there's a lot of different theories about yawning. Um, and I think there are phenomenologically different yawns as well. So there are naturalistic yawns that we do when we're tired, but there are also social yawns that we do because yawning is socially contagious, like hysteria or nausea. You, know, you throw up, I throw up, everybody's throwing up because maybe you've eaten the poison berries. So I feel sympathy with that and think, oh, I should throw up as well, because I might have eaten the poison berries. That's not good. And the laughing bit bonds us together. The yawning, and so does the yawning. It, it, it coheres us as a group. So you see someone yawning, you might mirror that. That's not a naturalistic yawn. That's a mirrored yawn. That's different to the yawn that you're going to do when you're when no one's watching, when you're tired. When you're tired, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... There's an ontogenetic theory, going back to the, the womb, that actually the yawning process helps the embryo, the fetus in the womb, to flush the amniotic fluid around the lungs to keep it moving oh, so it wow. doesn't stagnate in the lung yeah, yeah. of they're gestating for nine months. So that's, that's, that's a, 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 a sort of evolutionary biological theory as to why we yawn. Um, the other idea is that, you know, you're sat on the sofa, you're in a dip, you yawn, you think, well, actually, what I need to do is have the energy to go upstairs and get ready for bed. So actually, the, the yawn is, is, is absorbing as much oxygen as I can to give me that energy boost to get me up the stairs to go and find bed, bedroom. Um, so there's another idea about it. And, and more recently, and I don't know if it's something that you've noticed in yourself or your listeners might have noticed, when you're about to mentally change gear... So if you're sat outside a job interview or you're about to go and deliver a lecture or you're about to do something that's going to be highly demanding, we'll often yawn beforehand. Wow. Don't know if we're taking made... oxygen in. Yeah, no, that's the, again, the same idea is that you're actually you're psyching yourself up at a subconscious level. You don't really think, oh, I should yawn now. Ooh. You can't do that. You know, it's, it's a subconscious. It's auto automatic. It's controlled by our autonomic nervous system. Um but it's uh, right. I know. I know. I'm going to be demanded of in a in a minute or two. So I'll yawn just to, you know, flush loads of oxygen into my system. Give me the energy I need to do the difficult thing, whatever that might be. So there's a there's a lots of different ideas about yawning, but I think they are 
like I say, phenomenologically different. They can be mirrored, they can be the psyching ourselves up to do the demanding task like we've just been talking about, or it could just be, I'm really tired, I need some energy to drag myself upstairs and go to bed. Gavin here. Well, David's done a brilliant job at building the case so strongly about the need to proactively plan sleep, you know, to plan, to avoid having to go without your seven and a half to eight hours sleep. And that comment to me around, you know, look in the future to how you can avoid deadlines stacking up so that you have a period of time when you go without that sleep. Because you need the right amount of sleep for you, you every night in order to be productive. But what really staggered me was you know that study that was done around the nurses that uh, had worked on that rapidly changing two weekly shift pattern you know over a, a course of 25 years and um, it took 10 years off the lifespan they developed other comorbidities um, that idea that there 25 years rapid rotation antisocial hours that was staggering absolutely staggering so we do really need to take this very very serious seriously Go outdoors, get that sleep pressure built further through you know, absorbing the, the light pressure, the, the lumens, the luminosity out, outdoors, to take exercise outdoors, take a coffee break outdoors, go for a walk around the block at lunchtime um, so that you can uh, build up that level of melatonin in your system. I thought that was really, really fascinating about that. Melatonin can be broken down uh, in the body to give you the same chem- to give you the chemical serotonin which is you know the, the feel good chemical in the body so in other words light outdoors being in nature builds the melatonin up and one of the you know biological chemical biological reasons why it often feels good is not only does it build sleep pressure but it actually helps to release serotonin the feel good chemical in the body there's been um, an increase in the, the use of wearables and of sleep monitoring apps. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I've played around with these. I'm sure anybody that likes smartphones and tech and apps has also done so. Um, and I've actually found it to be, and I don't know whether you've experienced this with other, but counterproductive, because the more I look at the analysis, the more I kind of get mm. anxious about the fact that I've not <laughs> had the right supposed sleep. And I oh no, it's almost oh like... No. Do my head in. (laughs) My commercial sleep monitor has just told me that I only slept for three hours last night or I only got 2% REM sleep or I woke up six times last night and you panic. And your Fitbit or your other other commercial sleep monitors are available. Um, (laughs) It's lying to you. They are wholly inaccurate. They are wildly inaccurate. We've done some validation work with them wearing with them, comparing them against actigraphy, which is a, a validated and reliable sleep measurement and uh, the actigraph told has told us that this person's sleep is fine but the commercial sleep monitor that they wore on their other wrist at the same time says no their sleep's terrible and we've had people say oh their sleep the actigraph says their sleep's terrible and the commercial sleep monitor says their sleep's fine and if you know, they say, oh, you only had so much deep sleep or REM sleep. The only way I can tell whether you've had deep or, or REM is by sticking electrodes on your head. You, you can't get that in any other way. So your Fitbit's lying to you. It's wholly inaccurate at a technological level, but at a psychological level, and you've just totally exemplified that point, you've just received too much biofeedback. Your sleep, actually, what does good sleep require? 
Good sleep requires nothing. <laughs> More help you try and give it, yeah. the further it will run away from you. Okay, so if I say to you, Gavin, if you are asleep in the next five minutes, I'm going to give you £3,000. Or if I say, Gavin, if you're not asleep in the next five minutes, I'm going to come and shoot you. You ain't going to sleep. You're way too excited, okay? We have to chill out physically and psychologically to go to sleep. Now, if you take a bunch of good sleepers and ask them what it is they do to go to sleep, what's the last thing you do before you drop off to sleep at night? They look blankly at you and they say, well, I, I don't know. I just shut my eyes and shut up and go to sleep. If you ask a bad sleeper what they do, their list comes out. Well, I roll three times that way. I have my valerian tea. I sniff my lavender pillow and have my lavender spray. I count sheep. Try, try, try. The bad sleeper is making effort. Right. The good sleeper is making no effort. Yeah. And good sleep requires nothing. Bad sleep gets all the attention. So in November 2017, we have had the origination the first coining of a new form of insomnia called orthosomnia and orthosomnia is a sleep problem that has been given to you by your commercial sleep monitor freaking you out about your sleep wow. that you're worrying you're thinking about it more that's what bad sleepers do good sleepers don't do that so actually what that commercial sleep monitor has done is taken you from being a healthy sleeper and it's done this a lot and we have a big issue with this sleep tracker sleep apps wrist worn wearables tracking your sleep you know we evolved on a planet for 10,000 years without these things marjorie you don't need to do that and if you do start doing that it's going to cause you a problem with your sleep you don't think about breathing you don't think about your heart rate right just concentrate on your heart rate now, Gavin. Just on your breathing now, Gavin. Just want to notice it. Yeah, you, you, I can instill a panic attack in you by getting you to focus on your breathing and your heart rate. Yeah. What we need you to do is not think about those things. That's what people, yeah. when they're in a panic attack, oh my God, my heart's going, my heart's going. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to think about that. Your autonomic nervous system will deal with that for you. What we've got is a top-down override going on. Your brain is starting to interfere with those natural processes, and that starts to cause us pain. And it's exactly the same with this orthosomnia process. Your higher brain functions are interfering with the brainstem, and what the brainstem needs is to be left the hell alone to get on with what it does best, and, and that means leave it alone. Don't think about it. So that's the issue that we've got on a psychological side. On a physiological side, they're inaccurate anyway. So, so your message is delete, delete the sleep apps because they're, they're it, serving no... Throw it in the sea. Get rid of yeah. the damn things. They're causing yeah, yeah. loads of problems. And there, there's one more thing about the, the, the apps on phones. A lot of these apps on phones require you to put the phone under the pillow. Of course, yeah. Don't stick lithium batteries under your pillow. You know, it's really dangerous. You're going to end up cooking yourself in bed and setting fire to yourself in bed. I mean, it, it's... it's Holy irresponsible instructions. You know, you do not sleep with lithium batteries, right? It's not safe. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to an earlier point you made about um, advising um, uh, companies around shift patterns and shift workers. Um, one of the things that I've seen um, in, in a couple of businesses as a result of the lockdown is they're actually being very much more open, uh, open to flexible working and, and hours that the employee 
will choose for themselves and pick for themselves, which I, I think is good. I think it's a move forward. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with I you see, more. I see an operational challenge because you'll get the, you know, back to the locks and, and the owls. Yeah. And operationally in a business, when you knew your colleagues would be available, say, nine to five, you don't know if they're starting at 11 or finishing at two because of the, you know, the different patterns. I, I, I'm sure you've played around with this, with 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 systems of work, with clients before, with businesses before. How do you help uh, align? Is that the right word? Uh, clients um, meet those two potentially contradictory demands of um, availability uh, to collaborate, to work on projects together, versus providing the flexibility to people's own, you know, natural um, preferences of mornings or evenings. Yeah. So I'm. I like to think that there's going to be a, a positive move in, in work structuring post-pandemic. More working from home, we're, we're going to see more of that, more flexible working, that people can work around their kids, pick up some drop-offs, all that sort of stuff. And that if someone is um, doing the work that is required of them, then what does it really matter what time they do it? That said, if you have to meet, you know, obviously you've got to, got to align diaries to do that so that is a potential logistical headache but at the same time so at the moment if you look at a general shift working setup that we have across all sectors in particularly sort of manufacturing and um utilities and things like that um it's 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 set up in it's an it's an employer-centric setup you know this is how we do it here we don't chronotype you, Terry, and find out which shift you're going to be on. You just do the shifts we tell you to do. If we shifted that to become more employee-centric, you have a load of employees who are larks. They do the permanent earlies. All the owls do the permanent lates. And then you have a bank of staff to fill the gaps. There's a solution. Like we were talking about earlier on, this rapid rotation is what causes the problem, this two-week rotation. So stick a naught on it. Don't rotate every two weeks, rotate every 20 weeks or rotate every two months. If you rotate every two months, then you'll have six rotations a year, not 26. So you're dialing the insult down massively by just extending those shifts if you have to do them. Or you let people swap. So Terry's on two weeks of lates, Marjorie's on two weeks of earlies, then they swap and then they swap back again. So six, four weeks later, Terry's back on his legs again. So Terry and Marjorie just swap the middle two weeks. So Terry worked six earlies and Marjorie worked six lates, and that suits them. So there's this kind of ad hoc employee swapping around stuff, which happens all the time. And that's tricky organisationally as well, because how do you keep track of that? Um, or you stop doing it and you have permanent early workers, the larks, permanently late workers, the, the owls. And with a bank staff to to fill in the gaps, or you stick a naught on it and you just slow down that rate of rotation. So there's a various different options there. And that's what we will do when we're working with organizations is look and see, right, well, how do we, you know, what, what can we do now to start that process, to start shifting things into a more employee-centered focus rather than the employer? Because we're... The, the, in terms of corporate litigation, we've just seen now the in conclusion, the end of the mesothelioma cases. They've either settled or they've died. 
all the working for British Coal gave me lung cancer. I'm suing British Coal. No, they were, that was a massive raft of compensation, millions and millions of pounds. And lots and lots of people were affected very badly. I'm predicting in the next five years that we're going to have some precedent legal cases where a nurse is going to sue the NHS for her breast cancer. Yeah, you um, knew that shift work was going to hurt me. And yet you still push me to do it. And you didn't educate me. You didn't protect me. You didn't give me CBT advice, advice about my sleep. I developed breast cancer. That's your responsibility. If we get, I, I bet you in the next five years, one of them's coming and that's just going to open a floodgate. So the savvy organizations are getting on this and getting on it now. So they do due diligence, duty of care for their employees. They help them with their sleep. They stop shifting them so much and they are going to save themselves big, big money later on down the line. And it, it might also be attractive for insurers as well. You know, actually, we're protecting our workforce here. Give us a better premium. Um, I think there's a lot of issues there. Um, yeah, yeah. So we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground. You know, we've covered about um, chronotyping with your alarc or an owl. And the key advice there is stick to that seven days a week. You know, don't don't necessarily have your lie-in at the weekend if you're a, if you're a, if you're a large, you know, keep to that pattern. Um, make sure that you're having which have you know your your seven to nine hours sleep or I think you said did you say six to nine in in in, in the opening whichever you will find is right for you even that you won't need an app in the afternoon if you've had enough good quality sleep in the apps um probably leave your phone you know downstairs so you're not looking at your phone just before bed have a routine where you wound down for two hours before sleep um all of these things, get yourself out in uh, the fresh air, take your coffee break outside if you can, go for a walk at lunchtime. All of these things will help um, rejuvenate the body, but also provide you for be in a better um, situation for better sleep at night. So a lot of ground. We talked about shift patterns, we talked about work, we talked about melatonin, we talked about young mums. So it's a huge, huge amount of, uh, uh, of a ground that we've covered over this conversation. It's fascinating. Um, I'd love this. And um, if anybody wants to find out more about what you and your colleagues can do, whether professionally they would like to get you and your team to look at shift patterns in their organization or improving um, health, productivity through sleep, sleep, better sleep, or even heading off at the past potential um, litigation in the future, how do they get hold of you and your team? Oh, we're, we're on the internet like everybody these days. Yeah. So um, <laughs> sleep unlimited co.uk all one word um uh we've got a phone line ring us up 0191 um we've got various instagram and no we haven't got instagram but facebook and linkedin pages as well so you can find us at, uh, on on linkedin um and then yeah there's there's loads more information in in the the book teaching the world to sleep that's on amazon um published by routledge um, so there's there's more information there there for people if uh, if if anybody wants to get in touch um, and we're around and about a lot of the health and wellbeing conferences places like that and we we train a lot of health professionals in how to assess and treat using CBT for insomnia so we, we, we're doing a lot of that fantastic uh, Dr David Lee thank you so much for your time your uh, insights and expertise in the world of sleep and for anybody listening it's a it's a real priority that you get. Um, you sleep that you need so that you can be productive, but it's also, as we've learned today, significant long-term health issues or even lifespan issues if you 
go look after your sleep on an ongoing basis. Dave, really appreciate your time. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Kevin. Nice talking to you. Take care. I had so many questions after this interview. I went away thinking about it, paying attention to my sleep, taking action to improve the quality of the sleep. And then I came up with another dilemma and I had to get it on email. Ask this question to David. I'm going to share it with you now. Question and the answer. And the, the dilemma was, if I was aiming to get my, for my case, an optimum of seven and a half hours of sleep and you know, with the Apple um, Health app planning forward seven and a half hours, oh no, I wouldn't have time to exercise whoa obviously what's more important that 30 minutes of extra sleep or exercise have you ever had that um dilemma and it's so easy to stay under the comfort of the duvet and the warmth of the duvet and go oh i need my seven and a half hours sleep but what about the expensive you know the benefits of exercise so here's dr david lee's response he said the answer to your question it will depend on the individual someone who is overweight unfit but who sleeps well should do the exercise Someone who is fit but doesn't sleep well should do the sleep. That said, as a general principle, in order to be energized and motivated to exercise, their one needs to be well rested first. So, as such, I'd prioritize sleep. But I would say that, wouldn't I? So there we go. Once again, I think the key message coming out of that is, yeah, get your sleep in order to do good exercise. And if you can't get your exercise in the morning, how could you create time, carve time, uh, later in the day so I played around with this and I've said well where I have the opportunity okay I'll have a quick workout at uh, at lunchtime um, or there's a there's a gap in my schedule in the early afternoon so I'll have a quick workout in the early afternoon and I've achieved both I've achieved the extra half hour of sleep and I've achieved the exercise however back to one of the challenges um, David gave me in the actual uh, conversation is what do you need to do proactively to plan to make sure you can get your seven and a half hours sleep in my case and of course start the day with exercise stacks and stacks of information on that I want you like all these masterclasses to re-listen to it again and of course you know where to head over to to feast your eyes and ears on exclusive supplementary content where I've gone and tapped into other sources on this fascinating topic so that you can not only have a deeper understanding but you can get even better results enjoy creating the circumstances for consistent good quality sleep and see how your health and productivity and mental health all increase see you on the next episode thanks for listening to the business mastermind podcast with myself gavin preston you know we love to hear from you let me know what you think like review and subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on it does make a difference if you are a regular listener why not buy us a coffee you can do this by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master You'll also be able to get access to exclusive content from the guests and myself, further insights and information on the featured episodes, and how you can get more access for yourself and your business.